0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with
1: Viator. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Kent Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory. It is a Christmas Eve edition, if you're listening to when this uh, this episode was released, and a mailbag edition of the show Uh, taking questions about Chiefs and the Bears and the future. Here to help me talk about all these things. First, find him on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Matty Lane, how are you, my friend?
2: I'm doing good. The Chiefs have now won five games in a row. And when the Chiefs win five games in a row, that's a perfect time to slide back into those iTunes reviews and leave us a five-star review for your favorite Christmas Day Listening Chiefs podcast. Right, Craig?
0: That is correct, and I love that Maddie went there because that was literally the segue that I was going to use to to suggest a five-star review. Thank you all for listening on your Christmas Eve. I hope you're driving somewhere safe or sitting at home listening to this in the comfort of your own home, and you're having a wonderful holiday season. So thank you so much for taking time out of
1: this break to listen to us. Seriously, thank you so much. And hopefully, we can make, you know, 45 minutes of your drive wherever you're going a little less boring. I had a segue for five star reviews. Uh, It involved Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Guys, did you know that Patrick Mahomes wasn't counting to 10? He was just using, he was just leaving two five star reviews. (laughs) Two hands, two five star reviews. Uh, When you ask questions with a review, we try to answer them and we've got a few of those five star review questions. Arrowhead Anna. I am a diehard Chiefs fan coming from behind enemy lines in Denver. She lives about three quarters of a mile from Empower Field and I truly think I would go insane without your podcast. Oh, thank you. Being surrounded by donkey fans takes a toll on you, I could only imagine. Uh, And your podcast truly helps me keep my sandy. in recent weeks. It seems like opposing teams have been leaning so much on the ball control run game strategy like they did in the past. Example, the Colts game. Has our run defense stepped it up this much, or is it another reason teams haven't been attacking us this way? Thanks for all your hard work. P.S. The AP Lab intro is 1,000% a leaky toilet.
2: (laughs) Sometimes I record from the bathroom, okay people? Let it happen.
1: <laughs> no, I I think
0: that opposing offenses have just kind of gone away from the run a little bit because they get down. NFL teams don't want to commit to the run the way that maybe some people think that they do, you know. We see time and time again, oh, this team went away from the run and it was working against the Chiefs defense. I don't understand why they did coaches panic coaches know that they need to score quickly running the ball isn't the way to do that the bears actually tried to run the ball against the chiefs defense this week they ran for over 100 yards the chiefs were in their dime defense for most of the day and just basically said that's fine we're up three scores you want to run for four and five yards a chunk go right ahead take time off the clock that's fine because we're already up a bunch of points and patrick mahomes can score will. I think teams feel like they need to come out. They need to put more points on the board quickly to try and hang with the Chiefs, especially Andy's first 15. So you're starting to see teams kind of overthink things a little bit. And yeah, the run defense has stepped up a little bit more, but it's still not been great. I just think that teams are just kind of going away from it because they realize how much they
1: need to score to keep up. John P left a review and asked, "Since everyone bashes the play of the interior offensive line, running backs, wide receivers, D line, linebackers, corners, and Andy Reid sometimes too, how is this te- ten and four team? Uh, how is this team ten and four yet received so much criticism? Well, okay, so I think it's a good time to have this conversation. I think it's important that we kind of have it, you know, every now and then, just because people like us three criticize the team." Doesn't mean we're just negative about everything. We care about this football team's success as much as anybody does. We love this football team. That's why we do this show. And part of our appreciation and love for this team is wanting them to see, wanting to see them succeed. And we want this team to win a Super Bowl so badly and so, yes, we want, to, you know, we want to celebrate all the good things that happen, but we try to have realistic conversations about the things that are keeping this team from winning a Super Bowl because it's no longer having a limited quarterback. It is now a bona fide year-over-year NFL Super Bowl contender. This team with Patrick Mahomes is different, and everything about this football team surrounding him needs to be put under a microscope. In our laboratory, the AP laboratory. That's why we do this. We really we want people to be alert to the things that are hindering this team from having success and winning a Super Bowl. It's not necessarily about week fourteen or fifteen in Denver against Denver. It's about the the Super Bowl against the Saints, or you know the AFC Championship game and what you know what could happen there. We care about this team in in order to mount. And want to see them succeed as much as anybody that's just always blowing smoke or blowing sunshine up the butts. Like, that's just not us. We want to have honest conversations about this football team.
2: No, for sure. And I think a lot of it starts with expectations. When your expectations start the year at sky high, it's hard to meet them. If the Chiefs met everyone's expectations so far this year, they would have zero or only one loss at this point in time rather than four. So I think it's fair to have some criticisms. And then for me personally... I think it's not as fun for me to rah-rah the Chiefs for what they've done good on. I don't think that it's as constructive to say they keep doing this obvious thing. Well, like it's fun to talk about Patrick Mahomes and how great he is, but when you keep reverting everything back to how great Patrick Mahomes is or how good Tyree Kill is, like, this is stuff that I think everybody knows part of discussing what we do with the Chiefs, bringing some things to light that people may not be noticing. We try to talk about things that don't get get highlighted during a game, get highlighted by national media. And a lot of times that's going to be the little stuff. And this year, a lot of the little stuff the Chiefs done hasn't always been positive. When there is positive, we'll still talk about it. I think others will too. But you're dealing with a team that has unruly expectations this year. They haven't lived up to him at all the times. So, yeah, there's going to be some extra criticism no matter what. But when you follow the trend of the Chiefs this year, there's ebbs and flows. To start the year, it was very high. Most people were positive. There was that lull through the middle of the season where Patrick Mahomes was hurt. The Chiefs didn't look that great. I think that's when the negativity peaked, and now you're starting to get another rush of positivity. I don't think you're going to see that much negativity this week coming off that game just because that's how the Chiefs played. It's just an ebb and flow as things go. The Chiefs got a fair amount of criticism through the middle of the season, but that's when they had also lost four games, so I don't know how much of it's unfair, unwarranted.
0: I, I also think it's kind of funny that being the guy that writes about the defense, um, I, I tend to be the one that's labeled, quote, too positive. And then when <laughs> when the defense is playing badly, like pointing out the things that they did well, as well as the things that they didn't do well. And then when the defense is playing well, when I point out some things that they didn't do particularly well, then all of a sudden I'm too negative because <laughs> I'm pointing out. It's just like Maddie said, it's it's ebbs and flows. I, I do think that this team has really clicked and come together there are still some concerns obviously interior offensive line the linebackers for sure are not great the running backs haven't been great but i do think overall this unit both on defense and offense has played well they are peaking at the right time i i don't really think that we're going to see criticism until Well, hopefully never. I mean, hopefully this team just keeps going, goes right through the Super Bowl because we are all big, giant fans of this. And when the Chiefs go there, we're going to talk about the things that they did well. We're going to talk about the things that they did poorly. My article has something good and something bad every week because there's something to talk about good and something to talk about bad every week. It's never perfect, but it's getting better this team is peaking at the right time so yeah i do think that the criticism is starting to go away
1: and by the way the chiefs have constructive criticisms all the time of their football team mm-hmm. they if if everyone just treated it like it was perfect and there was no problems they wouldn't win the super bowl it wouldn't be very good Really just wanted to read this quick one from I Love Bonzo because I thought it was pretty cool. I've been listening to you guys for the last couple years and have never posted but wanted to say I, I can't get enough. You make long drives enjoyable and the week long. I can't wait to hear you guys break down games. Thank you for increasing my knowledge of the game and also adding personality and humor along the way. As one of two daughters brought up in a Chiefs household... I try to keep up with my dad and everything. And because of you guys, I am leading the conversation as of now. Uh, Thank you. I love Bonzo. Shout out to you. Thank you guys just so much for listening. I think that just, I wanted to make sure just to say thank you. And anytime we, we, we hear messages like that, we just want to make sure to kind of give those people shout outs. It's very kind of you. Maybe I shouldn't read them all out loud. I don't know, but I just wanted to make sure to, to say thank you. Appreciate you, man. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, Ross from KC, your five-star review will be answered on a bonus episode of draft content that's posting this later this week. Whoops. Be on the lookout for that. Okay. APNerdSquad at gmail.com is our email address. If you ever have questions, feel free to ask us there. We got an email. uh, On your next podcast with the Nerd Squad, please compare the Chiefs' domination of the AFC West currently. With what the cheating Patriots did in their prime in their division. S- sincerely, the Swede.
2: Well, thank you for asking the question. We love getting the email questions. You guys can reach out to us at any point in time. We have the arrow the AP Laboratory Gmail. So the Patriots are going on what two decades now of losing. I think if you take out the year that Tom Brady got hurt, I think they are under five losses during that time within the division which is absurd. Like You're not going to be able to match that at no point in time. I think even just being a good team for two decades is going to be impossible, let alone that level of dominance. But the Chiefs are four years in a row. They're going to win the division now. Over those four years, they're only going to have three losses within the division. That's a pretty darn good and impressive streak, especially when you consider the fact that we don't play against the Miami Dolphins, the Buffalo Bills, and the New York Jets within our division. We play a playoff caliber team in the chargers who won a playoff game last year you have the broncos who have had a quality defense and the raiders are starting to get up and coming so you have a higher level of you know stuff but higher level of competition however it's just you're not going to match what the patriots are able to do that's something will never be seen again
1: all right let's jump ahead into the twitter questions now uh aj coleman Asks, will counting to 10 ever not be cool again in Kansas City? The answer is no. I, I love that little hint of personality. We haven't really seen Patrick Mahomes show much of a chip on his shoulder in his time in Kansas City. He's been very professional, buttoned up. He's had a really good approach to everything. Seeing him... Counting to 10 on his way down the sideline, just rubbing it in to a Chicago Bears organization that passed on Patrick LaVon Mahomes was so satisfying, and I thought he played a pretty good game last week.
2: Yeah, I tried it today at the gym. I faded away from the squat rack and counted to 10, and I got a standing ovation, much like Patrick <laughs> Mahomes did, on Soldier Field, so... uh I think, so. no. I think people will be counting to 10 for a while, just like you saw the uh, jacket tied around your waist, like you were a middle school kid again after Pat did that in <laughs> the uh, <final laughs> basketball game, I believe it was. I forgot about so, that. Yeah, it's now. It's a new trend going to sweep across Kansas City, just slowly counting to 10, starting with your. Yeah,
0: thumb. I, I don't know what everybody's making such a big deal about. It's just clearly a varsity blues reference that, that Pat was making on the field there. There's a tan. A tan. A tan. <laughs> No, my man is cold-blooded. He Woo! will remember that forever, and he will constantly reference that. I Listen, he can dodge that question all he wants. That's fine. Give me that mentality. He, he's not satisfied. I love it.
1: Mellinger wrote an article and got Sammy Watkins to admit that Patrick Mahomes told him it had to do with the draft status so i i love it i love it i'm shocked really i'm surprised i know it's wild it's wild uh nate ch 479 this one's for maddie can we stop the narrative that damian williams is the best running back on this team
2: nate buddy we can try but we unfortunately are going to be outnumbered here's the thing about damian williams he's very fast And he runs hard into contact. He runs into a lot of contact, but he (laughs) runs into it hard. And when you're fast and you can finish a run well, that is very easy to see. It's very flashy and it catches the attention of people watching the game very easily. So it makes it a coveted traits for a running back to have when in reality, those two traits are probably the easiest thing to replace as a running back. And I think that's why you see Damian Williams be so incredibly inconsistent. That's why you see him get zero yards, zero yards, then break a 12-yard play when the blocking was good. You get these big flash-splash plays because he's explosive, because he runs hard, but then you mix in a bunch of nothing because he doesn't have the best vision or patience or really the lateral agility to change his gap at the last second. He's a very useful player when the run blocking is going well. If the run blocking starts to struggle, it becomes very inconsistent, hard to rely on.
1: Kay Gumminger... Uh, Asked this question, but honestly, like uh, Vitamin J, Chief Boyard DG, Pflum, some of the OGs of this show, they kind of all ask the same question. So, shout out to all them, but what is the best starting offensive line to go with into the playoffs, Craig?
0: Uh, Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz on the outside. Austin Ryder at center because, well frankly, Steven Wisniewski did not look particularly good against the Bears this week. We've been kind of clamoring to see him um Nope. Uh, nope. Was not great. Uh, Constantly was driven into the backfield. I think it's Lauren Duvernay Tardif and Andrew Wiley, if Andrew Wiley gets healthy. I mean, obviously, if he's not healthy, then they got to try out Wisniewski there. I think it's interesting that Cam Irving's not getting those reps at all. Like, we're not, we're not hearing that. I think he's very entrenched as the swing tackle now. They're not even really looking at him as a guard. So, I think when Wiley's healthy, you got to put him back in there, even though he's not been particularly good. We just saw Wisniewski really not look good against a depleted Bears front.
1: Shout out to all those guys that asked similar questions. Uh, I legitimately forgot Cam Irving was on this football team. I you're welcome. Shocking. You're welcome. I just i I don't know how. It's just like it's a season of forgiveness, I guess. Uh Simu 7, do you think Miami could possibly upset the Pats? No, I don't. I I I'm not even pretending like I'm going to be paying attention to that game cuz it could be 14 nothing going into the fourth quarter and I wouldn't expect them. I honestly, I don't know if the Patriots offense is going to have to do a thing the entire game. The defense might outscore the Dolphins this week. The Patriots' defense might outscore the Dolphins this week. I'm, I'm, that's not a joke. Fitz, that's not a joke. Fitz
0: magic, man. I'm going to need you to
2: believe in Fitz magic here because this guy puts up some wild games in the most wild circumstance, and this would be one to see Rob Gronkowski come out of retirement, play safety, and get burned on a Hail Mary.
1: <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't hate it. Uh, Kevo Bevo asks, uh, are the chiefs waiting until the postseason to unleash McCole Hardman or is he not where they think he should be at at this point in the season? So uh, pretty loaded question. It's a great question. It's a great question. I think it's kind of loaded just because I don't, I, I don't think, I don't know if the chiefs think he should be farther along than he is necessarily. I mean, maybe they have some expectations that he should be farther along than he is. But I think we kind of have an idea of what McCole Hardman's rookie season is gonna look like. And I I, I kinda I kinda threw did some research today. McCole Hardman has five catches for hundred and thirty-four yards in the second half of the season. There's one game less left in the second half of the season. Uh, and two touchdowns. Eighty-three percent of his production in the last half of the season has come on two touchdowns scoring touchdowns of 48 and 63 yards. I think McCole Hardman is a boomer bust player where you don't really know when you're going to get that big impact play. You're going to get five. We've gotten four or five this season already, and they've been very valuable. Like the Patriots game, huge play, big play. The team needed that one, especially since Mahomes' hand got worse and worse over the course of the game. They needed that play. I don't think you know when you're getting that from McCole Hardman. I don't think there's any consistency in what he's doing. And I think that's part of my, that might be part of why he's struggling to get on the field because what he's what he is right now, and it's what we've said he was gonna be in April, it's what he is now. He is a vertical stretch and a gadget play player. He is not a good route runner yet. He has not earned enough trust from Patrick Mahomes in this offense as a route runner as a receiver, as a complete receiver, to earn opportunities over Demarcus Robinson. That's the facts. He has value on this team. And if he continues to develop and if he continues to you know, prove his worth over the course of the next week or two in practice, you might see an increased role as the season goes along. But I don't think they're playing coy. I think they just need to trust him.
2: I think this was the most snaps he'd played in a while against his Bears team, and I would imagine it's a lot of it just putting him out there to, one, if the Bears were going to stay in a single high safety coverage, he would have some space to work vertically. The Bears did not do that. Resulted in a lack of targets, a lack of looks. But two, I wonder if they are just trying to get him some reps because when you're a raw route runner, you don't particularly have the lateral agility to be a great gadget player. Like We thought coming into the NFL, he'd be very good on these jet sweeps and all these little screenplays, and not that he's not good on them. It's just he has to make one cut and go. He does not have the lateral agility, the change of direction speed that Tyree Kill has, maybe that even a completely healthy Sammy Watkins has. And I think that really shows once he does get the ball. If there's an alley, he's going to take it the distance. But if there's not, he struggles a little bit to turn and get going. So you just... You have a guy that's still learning to play wide receiver and the select few things he does are so limited that you can only put him out there to do those things. I wonder if defenses are catching on when McCole Hardman's on yeah. the field, there's you live that one route in the snow where he makes the 10 yard out route. You live with that because it's just simply not going to happen often enough. You play him over the top. If he does anything that resembles motion across the backfield, you make sure somebody sticks with them you've essentially covered everything he's going to do to you. You stay over the top. If you see him go behind the line of scrimmage, you follow him. That's pretty much his entire usage. It's too predictable. And the Chiefs, Andy Reid, does not like to be predictable.
0: Yeah. Um, I think what you need to know about McCall Hardman came in Eric Bieniemy's press conference last week. Eric Bieniemy, who says a whole lot of nothing in his press conferences, was asked about McCall Hardman making the Pro Bowl and how much of an honor it is for that. And of course, he gave his normal praise to McCall Hardman, you know, saying that he's a he's a hell of a player and everything like that, like he normally does. Does a good job. He does a good job. But he uh he then he's segued cool. unprompted into he needs to learn how to prepare for the game every day. He needs to learn how to do all the little things right. He needs to learn how to show up and work as hard as he can. Like those are the some of the things that BNME doesn't typically bring to the table with some of these rookies. He doesn't typically bring to the table with guys that they're integrating into the office or into the offense. Well, so I do think that there's something to be said about their expectations for him. I think that early burst and the early output made them maybe raise their expectations of him a little bit more with Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins on the field. But then since then, Maybe they haven't seen the type of work that they've wanted. I don't know. But it was just very interesting to hear bien talk about him in that regard. Trying to ground him a little bit. Trying to ground him a little bit. That's exactly what it was. Trying to keep the the ego down, maybe. But we definitely need to see more from him as a route runner, as a receiver. I, i tell you what, though. He's a hell of a gadget. I mean they, yeah. there there are well, there are usage spots for him in this offense so I'm interested to see if they try and get him
1: into some spots a little more in the playoffs. I know I know it's weird to say but I'm thrilled with where he's at. Mm-hmm. I'm thrilled with where he's at. He's exceeded my expectations for year one for him. I didn't have the highest of expectations. I didn't think he'd be able to maximize the speed trait in the, in the trump card he has with the speed. And and he's been able to generate some big plays down the field. And like I'm excited about that, but there's just a lot more to it. And it's not Tyreek Hill. It's never going to be Tyreek Hill. He doesn't have the same skill set as Tyreek Hill. Watch Tyreek Hill run that curl route on the 3rd and 19 this week. McCole Ty- Hardman will never be able to do it like that. And that's not a knock on him. It's just I think we need to have real expe- realistic expectations of what McCole Hardman is. And he's got a chance to develop, but he's still got a long way to go. We're going to take a break, and we will be back right after this. Okay. Okay. More Twitter questions. David Madea7 asks, heard Pete Sweeney say the defense is now at the point that they are the best part of this team. Better than the offense, do you agree? Or is Pete... cray cray Craig. No, this this is a defense first team, you guys. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking about. Spags
0: is our savior. Everything is great now. Now, I do think that the, the offense certainly has more talent. And I think the offense hasn't played particularly well together. They haven't executed at a particularly high level, and we haven't seen Andy Reid's play calling be that great. Conversely, the defense with less talent is playing together better. They're executing at a higher level, and Steve Spagnuolo is bringing it at a high level every week. So from an execution standpoint, Pete's exactly right. I think we're seeing this defense a lot more locked in. We are seeing what this peak defense looks like. But if we get the peak offense, if we get – what they can be, the offense is definitely better than the defense.
2: I feel like I jokingly started, helped start this trend that the Chiefs are a defensive first team. And while it's amazing that the Chiefs defense is now good enough, that if the offense is struggling, they can't carry the team. they you The Chiefs can win a game based on their defense now. You're just not going to go into the playoffs. You're not going to play a real quarterback and expect this defense to win the game for you. The Chiefs during this stretch essentially since they lost to Ryan Tannehill, has played five awful, terrible quarterbacks. The only one that hasn't been terrible is Drew Locke, and he played his worst game by far in that game as a rookie. So you can't expect them to get that when they go into the playoffs. However, if you have a game where the offense may only put up 20 points, you no longer have to fear that the defense won't play better than that and give them a chance to win.
1: And I think the ceiling will always remain the offense. I think there's way more in this offense, and if it gets you know to a point where we see a, a real reveal of what this offense's potential is, it's not even going to be close, but this defense is way more than enough to win a Super Bowl if the offense is playing at the level we think it will. Three Gravy Cats asks, is having elite safeties in just average cornerbacks a sustainable plan on defense provided the pass rush continues to be good? I mean, yes, it is. I, I think that's
0: that's what Spags is doing right now. The pass rush is good enough to force quarterbacks to have to get the ball out quicker. Uh, they're not allowed in the pressure packages. In the pressure packages, is not. Let's just add that it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's not just it's not just the front four. It's it's everything. His ability to simulate pressure, his ability to blitz, his ability to do all of that is good enough with the elite safeties to be able to trot out average cornerbacks. Now, here's the problem with that. Next year, the cornerback group is below average. Uh, Right now, it's definitely maximized. They're playing at their best and everything like that. But I know that this is kind of a transition into, can you get by without investing in the cornerback position now that Steve Spagnuolo is maximizing these guys with with elite safety play and the pressure packages? Yes, but... Imagine what he can do with a good cornerback. We're seeing what he's doing Woo! with l- league average cornerbacks. I you know as a whole here, they still don't trust their nickel cornerback. Imagine what he could do if he had a full complement of players at that position that actually had, you know, NFL top talent at their position. This would be ridiculous. He could dial up so many more different pressure packages do so much more on the back end that he can't do right now. I think that you want to see Steve Spagnuolo with an elite cornerback back there.
2: I think the issue is the plan works 95% of the time, as we've seen. 95% of the time, the cornerbacks are not going to cost this team. They're not going to make this team lose. It's going to work. You're going to be able to dial up pressure blitzes to get home. You're going to be able to rely on your highly paid, highly talented pass rush, or your very talented safeties to help you. The issue is that one game in the playoffs where a team decides to throw at these corners relentlessly, regardless of how close they are in coverage or if they might be in good position, and that costs you a game. That one time that that happens, if it's in the playoffs, that means you have to make a change. We saw the Chiefs do that with wide receiver two after they played the Patriots in the playoffs. They went out and like, hey, we need somebody across from Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. This one game, this single game against the Patriots that we played in the playoffs said they can stop us if they can take away those two guys. Let's go get a third guy that can change everything. That's where the Chiefs' defense might be. 95% of the time, this may not be an issue. You go play a team that has good receivers and a quarterback willing to challenge Charvarius Ward and Bashad Breland. They very well may lose a game because of it and with such an obvious hole, why would you not fix it?
1: Brandon, 422, do we have a second half offense problem or is Andy just coasting with a lead?
2: This is just Andy coasting with a lead. I think you came out in the second half, you had some penalties and stuff that slowed you down a little bit there. You had a bad play here and there. You saw once the Bears scored and made it a game, supposedly again, you saw the Chiefs go right back down the field like they never missed a beat. This is just Andy Reid being Andy Reid. He took his foot off the gas. You have to worry about in the playoffs, if the Chiefs don't get it going again, that's a game they could lose to a better team. But I think you're starting to see the offense click when they're trying to, which is what we were asking for a couple weeks ago.
1: Andy Reid coasting with a lead, lead could become a second-half offense problem. And I think that's the problem. It, as the games become more important, um, you the, they they establish the run on first down a lot in second halves. Like they just turn around and hand the ball off on first down a lot, uh, in second halves of football games they get behind the sticks because they can't gain more than two yards, and they throw in, If you throw an incompletion on second down, it's a screen pass to somebody and it doesn't work. And I mean, it it's 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 game management, it's script management, it's you know trying to re, try not to reveal too much. There there's some validity to that. It just can't if – it, if it, as long as it doesn't cost them a game in the playoffs where they just have a lull in the second half because they're trying to get cute because they think they have enough time, a la the Titans playoff game, um, you know, it's fine. But, I mean, it's just it's just a reality. It's nothing to be too upset about. Some people were very upset with me for calling it out uh, on Arrowhead Pride this week. Uh, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, it's true. Chief Flats 11 <laughs> – <laughs> Looking at season stats and usage so far this season, was drafting McColl reactionary, or is there a plan, Craig?
0: I mean, there's definitely a plan. I, it's it's short-sighted to think that it's 100% reactionary. Is it partially? Maybe. Um, I can definitely see the logical chain of events that Andy Reid and Brett Veach would have gone through to get to that point, but... I don't think that they just were taking somebody to take somebody. He's not Tyree Kill. We keep saying it. He's not Tyree Kill. So trying to say, okay, well, they knew or they thought maybe they were going to lose Tyree Kill for the season, so they drafted McColl to replace him. You weren't going to get the kind of production out of him that you were getting out of Tyree Kill. So I do think there's a plan. I think they plan for him to be mostly a kick returner. And this kind of guy, the way they've used him so far this year, and hope to develop him as a route runner. Because honestly, like Kent keeps referring to, this trump card, his speed is legit. If he can weaponize it better as a route runner, as a receiver, then all of a sudden you have a potentially special player just because he has that trump card so i do think there's a plan i think that they're working on it i think they're trying to get him to the point where he can be a very functional receiver but yeah i i think that they maybe understood that this year was going to be more like this especially once Tyreek Hill was back in the fold
2: I think there's a little bit of both. I think the Chiefs went in looking for a receiver. I think they did want to draft a wide receiver. That was a position they felt they could use to invest in. I think when the Tyreek Hill news broke, I don't know if the Chiefs ever really believed that he maybe did that, but there had to be some doubts. They have to protect themselves a little bit. So if you already know you're looking for a receiver, and then it drops right before the draft kind of starts – that you may have to deal with this Tyree kill situation. It makes sense to get somebody that can replicate a little bit of what he does from that speed and deep threat perspective. So I think that I think it's partially reactionary in terms of it influenced the decision to draft McCall Hardman specifically. And when they did, however, I don't think they would draft him only for that reason. Like Craig said, there is some kind of developmental plan. They see a spot for him. They see what he can do going forward it's just up to them and him to get there i personally and i think i have been very we've all kind of been very clear about this i just wonder what his ceiling looks like based on what we've seen so far and if that reactionary aspect of taking him specifically to replace the speed didn't cost them a chance at a better wide receiver in the long run
1: Funny Whiskey Nine asks, "My question is: the offense playing conservative for the sake of playoffs, and will that be an advantage to beat the Pats when we face them in the playoffs?" It's kind of similar to what the question we just asked, Maddie.
2: I think that Andy Reid holds stuff back in the second half of games. I think Andy Reid holds stuff back to start and in certain parts throughout the year. So yes, I think the Chiefs will have some new stuff or different stuff to show teams in the playoffs. That said, I don't know if the goal is specifically just to hide stuff for a certain matchup or because you might play him in the playoffs. Just Andy Reid doesn't like to dump everything out at once. I don't know if in his mind it's to save it for later or just the fact that he doesn't want to show everybody his homework and let everybody get the same grade as him. I feel like Andy Reid's very selfish and competitive about being the best offensive mind in football. And he's pretty clear about that. So I just don't think he wants to show everybody everything so they can all do it two weeks later. He tries to hold some stuff in. Maybe it is to save it for the playoffs specifically. But I think he just wants to hold it in so he can bust it out at the right time. Because he wants it to be out there on his own time.
1: The Hubby Daddy asks, think we could see some no-huddle aggressive aggressiveness in the playoffs. So uh, this is something I've always wanted. Uh, to see, and I thought it would be really cool to be part of Patrick Mahomes' developmental arc during his rookie year, or during his first year as a starter, maybe towards the end of the season, start utilizing a series or two of no huddle to change some tempo and some pace. But here's the thing, kind of going back to some of the stuff... That Maddie was just talking to. I think Andy Reid wants to be that offensive mastermind. He loves the control that he has with the offense. And when you are in no huddle situations and you're playing with that kind of tempo, there's a little bit less control that Andy Reid would have on the play calling. So if you know he might be able to provide input in the headset and all that stuff, but he's not going to be able uh, to have the same level of control that he might if you know if they if they were you know huddling up and lining up. From a pace perspective, I think Andy Reid's typically, you know, towards the back end when it comes to that pace. They they like to use the shifts and motions. Those go out the window when you're doing no huddle. So those kind of things and some of the things that you really like with the with the offense go out of or not in play when you're going with no huddle too. Chiefs dad ninety or Chiefs dad eighty nine. Will the Chiefs be able to sign Mahomes and retain Chris Jones? Uh, is Sammy Watkins a for-sure cap casualty? When does Kelsey get extended? Extended And is a new deal for Charvarius Ward coming soon? Just hit all these really quick, Maddie.
2: Yeah, we'll get more of these into more detail throughout the offseason. But yes, they can sign Mahomes and retain Chris Jones. It likely does come with Sammy Watkins and LDT being cap casualties, if not some other lower-end guys. This is a good year to try to extend Kelsey, especially if you get tied up against the money. I would say you're going to get something by the end of 2021 for him. but I wouldn't be surprised to see it this offseason. Charverius Ward's something that we've talked about now. I think you could do something, uh, throw him a little extra money because he plays so many snaps, but the Chiefs don't have to. It's completely up to them if they give him a new deal right now. It's because I think they like him and they want to keep him around and they're doing him a favor. If they were being smart, if they wanted to make him earn it fully, show it for two years, they don't have to do anything going into next year.
1: Peter Y. Golf asks, what's going through the mind of uh, what's going through your mind when the Chiefs have a third and forever? Does your heart even surpass 60 beats per minute? Honestly, third and 18, third and 19 – no fear whatsoever. It's just something about this offense that they just they just are able to produce with these ridiculous plays. I don't know if it's just if it's the the play calling of the defense or what, but it seems like some of it's just simple sticks concepts too. That's what's so wild is it feels like they hit a lot of just sticks concepts on these third and eighteens. With the stick concepts, is just your receivers running past the stick about two yards and working back to the football. It feels like that's just all they're hitting. It's happened on multiple <laughs> occasions. Schweb 29 says we were all excited about the additions of Dave Merritt, Matt House and Brendan Daly this offense or offseason. So which assistant coach has impressed you most and which has impressed you least? Oh, man, I I don't have a
0: real impressed you least. So I'm going to go with Matt House as impressed me least, but I don't know that that's on Matt House. I I think he's done the best talent. Yeah. I I think he's done the best with a an overall slow linebacker group. We've seen Damian Wilson have some good games. We've seen Reggie Ragland had some good games. And we've seen Anthony Hitchens. So I do think that there's that he's gotten the most out of those guys right now. I think a talent infusion is needed there. And I think we'll start to see his real footprint on those guys a little bit more. But as far as most impressive Dave Merritt, you guys. Dave Merritt has this cornerback group playing out of their damn minds. It's, <laughs> it, um, I, I can't believe how well he's got this secondary to play right now. He really deserves so much more credit than he's getting from you know media and everything like that. He and Sam Madison have really transformed this group and made them so much better. None of this is a slide on Brenda Daly. I just had really high hopes and he's hit all of my really high hopes.
2: Yeah, I I was going to say, I was going to bring up Merritt because I didn't know if anybody else was going to bring him. My one caveat there is I think Steve Spagnuolo is a very big secondary guy. So I think he does have his hands a lot in the cornerback, the safety play. Not that it takes anything away from their job. Just I think that's where you see a lot of his impact coming through too. That's something that he's made his bones in in the NFL for me, most impressed is going to be Brendan Daly. I understand that we all had super high expectations for him. I think we all expected him to be very good. But I think just what you've seen from the non-Frank Clarks and the Chris Jones, especially as the years gone on, it's, just, it's met those expectations and more. Getting Colin Saunders to look NFL-ready after what we saw this preseason, getting Derek Nottie to change from whatever he did the first five weeks of the season to playing now, Mike Pinnell, NFL free agent halfway through the year because nobody wanted him as a active, useful player. Okafor, Ogba, so on and so forth. He's making... Harris. every Harris. Yeah, K-passes improvement. He's making everybody better. I think it's, you can't ask for any, a better job. Least impresses Matt House simply because, one... His personality doesn't shine very well in press conferences. He can't. I don't think he impresses you when he speaks to the media, and I do think that plays a role in not being overall impressive as a coach, especially when you are coaching the least talented position on the team. It's not his fault the linebackers are slow. He didn't make them slow. They just are. So it's hard for him to work with what he has, but when you're not impressing, I think, through the media interviews as well, it's just hard to put you up there with daily or merit at this point in time.
1: Jayhawk Josh asked three free agency-type questions, so we're going to speed round up. Maddie, what's the most you'd sign Emmanuel Ogba for?
2: I would pay him one year up to Alex for $6 million. I don't think I'd go higher than that just because I want to see him do it for a year and stay healthy, but I think that's the most I would get to at this point.
1: Craig, Kendall Fuller back as a cheap hybrid defensive back.
0: Man, if you're getting him cheap, 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 maybe, but, I mean, we're, we're a couple games removed from him being you know, inactive, a healthy scratch. So now, granted, he played 85% of the snaps. Rashad Fenton was a healthy scratch this week. They got to figure out what they're doing with him, but it would have to be very cheap.
1: Byron Jones, long-term or Chris Harris Jr. short-term? I'd actually go with Chris Harris Jr. short-term just because I would like to keep some flexibility for the long-term because there's going to be a lot of decisions to be made. Uh, Byron Jones is a very good player. I just don't know if I would shell out the kind of big deal and long-term deal to keep him here. I think I'd probably try to be a little bit more flexible with a guy like Chris Harris, who I think would be a great fit in Kansas City. Um, Yeah. Schweb29, would you pay Reggie Ragland at $3 million, and is that realistic, I d- Craig? I would 100% play Reggie Ragland to play Sam at
0: $3 million. Guys, I want to... Second contract guys that have make that are making around that, L.J. Fort, Corey Littleton, Patrick Onawassar, and Wesley Woodyard. Like that's that's the level of player that Reggie Raglan would need to live up to. Be, I'm 100 doing that. Like in a heartbeat, and I would have him play Sam. Even if you're not starting him, paying a guy three million dollars to be a backup, be a rotational guy in case Damian Wilson got hurt. I, I'm fine with that because they use him as a sub rusher all the time, too.
1: So Steve Spagnuolo is actually still getting something out of him in the dime. I thought it was wild that Damian Wilson, because of the Chiefs playing so much in the dime yesterday, got under 10 snaps. Mm-hmm. That's wild.
0: 85% in the dime this week. Just that's nuts. absolutely spread them out this week.
1: That's crazy. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this uh, episode of the AP Labor- Laboratory Mailbag. I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas, wonderful time with your family. Thank you so much for spending 45 minutes with with us. We can't tell you how much we appreciate that. And we will be back later with some draft content. A little bonus draft. Catch you later.
0: In. Claude 3 from anthropic is your one-stop
1: shop for enterprise ai with models at every point of the price performance curve you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence speed and cost Claude 3 opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed and haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market perfectly designed for high volume high speed use cases Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. Support for this show comes from Vanta. Dealing with loads of spreadsheets, juggling different tools, and having to do manual security checks, it can be a headache to keep up with today's compliance and security programs. Vanta is the trust management platform that wants to
0: simplify things and bring all your trust-building efforts under one roof, making growth smoother
1: for your whole organization. Vanta lets you automate up to 90% of compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more, strengthen security posture, and reduce third-party risk. Get $1,000 off Vanta when you go to Vanta.com slash Vox. That's V-A-N-T-A dot slash Vox for
0: $1,000 off Vanta.